Welcome to Two Inches Off the Ground. When you are enlightened, you live your life two inches off the ground. And I'm very excited about this month, which is February 2023. We are going to delve into psychic detection. Psychic detectives are the psychic mediums who help the police solve crime. So if you have a missing persons case, if you have a deceased relative, you do not know how they passed away, these are the people you hire in order to find this out. And the next episode, we have John Baisley, who I'm so excited about. He is a forensic astrologer who is a psychic detective, and he's going to talk all about that. But today I am talking about my experience with psychic detection in the workshop I took in October 2022. I hadn't talked about it yet because we started getting into holiday episodes and I felt that it just wasn't the right time. I do want to give everyone a trigger warning. I will be talking about death today. I may include death of children. I will probably include serial killing because this is what psychic detection is about. You're solving these incredible cases. So I do want to give everyone that activation warning today. And I'm also just going off my notes from the workshop I took. So there's no major outline. I'm just kind of speaking about my experience, and hopefully you enjoy that. So in October 2022, at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, I took a weekend workshop called Become a Psychic Detective. It was led by the incredible Tony Stockwell, who is the British psychic detective who's been on all the shows. He is the OG. He is the guy that everyone goes to and I can't say enough about him. He has such a great sense of humor, such a nice, approachable guy, and I have to say an amazing teacher. I was really impressed by how he taught the class because I didn't know what to expect. When I signed up, I thought it sounded cool. I always wanted to learn about it. The funny part is that I am not into true crime at all. It is not my thing at all. You know how, and you may be one of these people who love watching the NCIS and watching all the lawyer shows and the police shows. I I don't do that. I've never been into that. Totally not my cup of tea. So when I was attracted to this title, I thought it was very funny for me because I just, none of that has ever resonated with me. I've, I've, I have to say, I've never understood the American fascination with with law and medical and police. I I just never got it. So that I was attracted to this class was definitely an anomaly. But you know, you do things because we're all intuitive people. And I said, okay, there's a reason I my, my I should say my soul is choosing this class. And I'm not also I should say this too, I'm not into true crime podcasts as well. My husband likes them. And I've listened to a few of them with my husband and and some of them are done extremely well. I've extremely well. And some of these podcasters have helped reopen cases for innocent people. So I think that's amazing. But again, I've never really been into it. So, okay, let's talk about the course. Tony Stockwell taught in a way that surprised me because I thought we were just going to be sitting there all weekend listening to him 
and his case studies, which would have been cool. I was just prepared to sit there and, and be lectured at, not in a bad way, in a good way. Actually, it was us, the group, going into group meditation and solving cases. Now, some of these cases he presented were already solved and he was just testing us, testing our skill. Some of these cases have not been solved and he wanted to see our thoughts on them. And then some of the cases, which this shocked me the most, were from the group. So some of these people attended this workshop purposely because they wanted to find out where their missing loved ones were. And that that shocked me because I didn't think any of that was going to be happening. Again, I'm, I'm such a neophyte in this area that it blew me away that it makes sense, right? It makes sense that they attended the class, of course, but it, I, it never occurred to me ever, ever. Again, this is my lack of true crime. <laughs> it just never occurred to me. When we went into the class and we were in group meditation, he was giving us some pointers on how to be a psychic detective. And one of the pointers was that he had a very telling experience at Auschwitz. I don't know if any of you have been to Auschwitz. It is the uh, Nazi death camp in Poland. I have been. I lived in Eastern Europe. And one of the places that I went with a friend was Auschwitz. When you live in Eastern Europe, these former death camps are all over. In fact, I lived by one. Um, I would visit a friend and he pretty much lived on a former death camp. A lot of these death camps are not preserved, or I keep saying death camp, concentration camps are not preserved like Auschwitz or Dachau. And I've never been to Dachau, but I've heard in Dachau's in Germany. I've never been, but I've heard that Dachau is very modernized and up to date, where Auschwitz is not. They keep it as if it was back in World War II. So anyway, Tony went to Auschwitz and you can go into the gas chambers. So he went into the gas chamber and you can physically step into it. And all of a sudden he had a sense of euphoria and the feeling of leaving his body. And why this was so fascinating and telling is because you think when you'd step in that gas chamber, instead you would feel the absolute horror the suffering, the dread of these victims, but he said that he was feeling the victims leaving their bodies, leaving this horrendous, horrific tragedy and finally becoming free. So it told me that you never know what to expect in a case. You're expecting one thing and then you may get something else. Another point he raised is when you do these cases as a psychic detective and the family is waiting on an answer, especially with something like a missing child, the police are waiting on an answer, would you stake your life or your child's life on your answer? If you're telling a family about you know a missing person, you have to be accurate. Same with the police. You have to be accurate. It can't be a, I 
think I'm on the right track, but I'm not 100% sure. And he said, as you become more experienced as a psychic detective, that you will know when it's 100% versus a maybe. You will absolutely know. You will feel it in your gut, in your intuition. He also discussed that as a psychic detective, it is the one medium of the metaphysical or or being a metaphysical professional where you have to encompass and embrace all forms of the psychic, meaning you have to be a medium, you have to be a psychic, you have to know a lot about telemetry, you have to know a lot about psychometry, you have to be able to develop skills in all of these branches in order for you to completely be that psychic detective. And you really have to embrace, obviously, your intuition. Everyone knows that, but you also have to embrace every sense. He was talking about how he went to someone's house and they were looking for a spirit. I think the spirit was in the drapes. There were very large windows and there were drapes. And instead of just touching the drape, he put his entire face on the drape. He smelled the drape. He he used all the senses. He put his ear against the drape. So you really have to make sure you're not leaving anything out. And I had never heard that before because he was saying with a picture, so for people who like to pick up sensory information from a picture, he said, don't just look at the picture, do more with it, take the picture, put it against your face, feel it, smell it, listen to it, do everything you can with that picture. And like I would say too, and I would give advice to someone who's really beginner in the psychic medium field, make sure you write down your first thoughts. Always. So to me, that's when your mind is the purest and you're just not expecting anything, at least to me. And that first image that I get is the purest image. And that's the one I usually go on when I'm in meditation. Last night, I asked the spirits to talk to me because When we recorded, when John Baisley and I, who's going to be on next episode, when we recorded, we had an EVP, an electronic voice phenomenon or a spirit come through that you can hear on the audio next week. And I pointed out before going to sleep last night, I said, please spirit, if you need help in finding this boy or this was not boy, this man, or this was some type of message, please come through now. And I received a clearer image of a boy sitting on a school bus who had a red long shirt on and jeans and sneakers. It looked a little more old fashioned. So I would say the kid was maybe in the 80s, 90s. He had shaggy blonde hair and he was bent over and he was looking over his shoulder at me. So I'm going to pass that information on to John to see if there's something in that, but I clearly got this image of this kid. Now I was getting other images, but they weren't coming through and this image was crystal clear. So I wrote it down and I'm going to pass it on to John to see if it will help with any of his cases. If you're not 
getting anything, you're trying to do psychic detection, let's say you're really into true crime and you listen to this episode and you say, you know what, I'm going to pick up a case from the newspaper. In fact, I just looked at the newspaper today and I can't remember the actor's name. It's a British actor and he is missing right now. He went on a mountain climb in Southern California and apparently the mountain is very dangerous and he went on a mountain climb. It's been two days. No one can find him. So for example, that would be good to start out with someone like him to see if you can get any clues on him. And if you find yourself not getting anything, then as Tony says, enlist in a group for psychic detection because that validates your answers or or what's coming through to you or it invalidates them. When I was in the class, there was a case and I talk about it on the episode with John next week, so I don't want to delve too much into it. But there was a case where a woman in the workshop, she has a son who's an adult who's homeless and a drug addict, addict, and she has not heard from him for at least a year, maybe more. We never heard the conclusion of this, and I just wasn't getting anything from him. For some reason, I could not pick up anything from this guy. I think I picked up maybe he was by the sea somewhere, but that's it. And then there was this woman in the group who was just nonstop, picked up everything from him, everything. It was incredible. And this woman works with drug addicts. She owns these homes. So I think her soul could resonate with his soul. They could speak together and communicate where myself, maybe in the lifetimes I've been through, I haven't so much struggled with that type of issue, but I've struggled with other issues where I'll talk about it in the next episode with John, where I was really able to tune in. Okay, so I'm flipping the page here in my book. And by the way, I use this special journal that when I have really highly metaphysical information I want to write down, I do it in a special journal. So if that resonates with anyone, I highly recommend it to you. So he was also talking about you can ask your surroundings to help you. For example, nature, let's say a murder took place in the woods. If there's been something horrible that's happened, then you can ask nature for help in that injustice. You can ask the trees. You can ask the leaves. You can wait for, or you wait for the story to reveal itself to you. And a lot of what he talked about, and he stressed this over and over and over, is that a lot of this is a waiting game. So we want the information to come to us in one minute, and then we want to call the family or you know get in touch with the police department and say, I got it, I know it. But he said a lot of it is a waiting game. You have to wait for things. You have to make sure that that impression is outside of yourself because a lot of times you have to separate your own head from what's going on with the victim or the deceased person or the spirit. So he really emphasized the power of waiting. And I thought that was incredibly insightful. As I went through this workshop, I was moved. 
by the people who came and were looking for answers for their missing loved ones. And one theme that I saw, and by the way, I shouldn't just say missing loved ones, but deceased loved ones. We had a couple of cases where these family members were deceased, but no one knew how they died. So we were getting answers on that. We had cases of missing loved ones. We had cases of, which I will talk about extensively next week with John. We had one case where the woman just had a murder in her area and no one can figure it out. So we had that. And that was a really good case. And we will really go into it next week. One thing I picked up from all of this is that a lot of these things happen to where it's not what you see on a TV show of it's murder, 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 and someone had this horrible intent. And yes, of course, we had cases like that. But I kept seeing cases of it was an accident and they were afraid to go to the police. The other person who was involved in the event was afraid to go to the police for whatever reason. Maybe they had a little bit of a record or a DUI or their kid would be taken away or something. So they called 911 and 911 came and it was in the era of COVID. And I don't know if you guys know this, I think most of you know this, that in, in between like March 2020 and December 2021, in these hospitals, no one had a heart attack, no one had a stroke, no one had anything, everyone died of COVID. So this one person in the class had a very close family member mysteriously die from a blunt force trauma, but they said in the coroner's report, it was COVID. <laughs> so sorry, I'm not laughing at that. I'm not making fun of that, but it's crazy, right? So he was trying to figure out what was going on and Tony validated and the class was saying that it wasn't done on purpose, that this family member also had a rough background and the two guys got into a scuffle. Unfortunately, it got carried too far. It was an accident. Uh, I think a beer bottle or something was broken over the head and the guy died. And then the police came and said it was COVID. So, um, yeah, so I, I was seeing a lot of that where it was just an accident and it made me think about the life and death cycle, right? What really happens in death, but then what really happens in life? If you watch just an episode of Outlander, and by the way, the woman who wrote Outlander, I believe, was very experienced in history and Scottish history and the whole thing, that your dad, for the most part, is not your dad. Like your mom, even though she was queen of the castle, was uh, banging the guy chopping wood. And that's your real dad. And it's all over Outlander. And it's all over, I think I'm not really... I really didn't watch Game of Thrones, but from what I've heard about Game of Thrones, it's kind of the same thing. And that's how it was back in the day. And that's how it is today because people are discovering with 23andMe that, yeah, my dad's not my real dad. And, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing is happening. So my point is you never know what happens in birth when our life comes into this world. Sometimes we don't know the truth about it and we never know what happens in death sometimes. So I thought that cycle was very fascinating. Then Tony asked at the beginning of the class if anyone wanted to figure out an adoption. I am adopted. I have said this on this podcast, I believe, many times. I was adopted at five months from a Colombian orphanage, uh, Bogota, Colombia. I found out 
through a DNA test that my birth father was from the Turkish region, somewhere around Turkey. My birth mother is indigenous Colombian. And I knew that also about my birth mother from the paperwork, which is in Spanish, obviously, but I had it translated. I think I just did it myself, translated some of it, but I was told that as well. So I asked, you know, if we can just see if my my sister or my birth mother is still alive. I have, uh, apparently I've been told, and it's been confirmed by the orphanage that I have a birth sister that my mother gave up two years after me, my birth mother. And I have been told she was adopted in New Jersey. I am from New Jersey. So who knows? Could have been right around the corner. I have never reached out and contacted her or tried to hire a detective or a PI to do that. Number one, it's very expensive. Number two, they would have to speak really good Spanish and English because they would have to be looking up records in Colombia, which I'm sure you can find that. I'm, I'm definitely sure you can find that. But... I don't know if this woman knows if she's been adopted. I don't want (laughs) to drop that bomb on someone because sometimes people try to keep it a secret. I have a feeling she knows and it was confirmed that she knows by these psychic detectives, but still, I just, I still feel that older sister protectiveness with her. Tony asked the class to get as much information as they could on both my birth mother and then my birth sister. So I have this information. I have to open my drawer. I forgot that it's not in the journal. Uh, Tony was nice enough to give me the sheets of paper that it was on. If I could find the sheets of paper. Okay, here it is. Got it. Here we go. Okay, so how he did it and how the class did it was I said my first, my last name, my birth year, my birth name, uh, where I was adopted from, at what age. And then they went in and they all did a group meditation. The class was split in half. Half of them thought my birth mom was alive. Half of them did not. They said that my birth father is definitely alive. They all agreed on that. Oh, and I also gave them the name of my birth mother, who I know it who, because I know the name. However, I want to tell everyone that in Colombia in the 1970s, who knows if this was her real name because they didn't keep good records. It's not like when you adopt a kid here now in this day, they did not keep good records. She could have easily given a fake name. My birth name, that's my last name, is like Smith in Colombia. So again, I'm not 100% sure that's the name. The orphanage could have named me, but this is the information I had to go off of. Tony agreed with the half of the class who said that my mother, my birth mother, passed over and he thought it was three years ago and that she had a rough life and that... At the end of her life, she was able to have a good life. She was very religious, which I'm not. I find that really interesting. But from the spiritual connection, that makes sense. She was raised in gangs, uh, violence. She was desperate for the love of her children. That's why she gave up two girls. 
I heard from someone in the class who was adamant about the fact that I have brothers who are still in Colombia, who are my birth brothers. Tony also said that my birth mother ended up with a man of the church. She passed at 67 years old, again, three years ago. Then there was a lovely, lovely man in the class who I really felt spiritually bonded with. He had been in the military in Colombia at that exact time in the 70s and said that Bogota was worse than the Wild West. He gave an example of how it was so drug-torn. It was so laden with the cartel. It was so bad that if the cartel didn't like you or felt that they were doing, you were doing something against them, they would bulldoze your house with you and your family members in it. If there was a newborn, if there were children, they didn't care. They would just go in and kill everyone. So that's how violent and horrendous it was back then. And he came up to me and spoke to me privately. He was in tears and really connected with my story. He said, I really connected to your birth mother. She was a good person. She was involved in a relationship where consent is a fine line. Your birth father was highly involved in the cartels, uh, not a good person. And she eventually was able to get away from him and that he was picking up what Tony was picking up, that she was very religious and that she eventually led a good life uh, in the church and that she eventually died. That's what he picked up as well. But he wanted me to know that she was a good person. She was a good woman. She gave me up and apparently my, my sister for love. She wanted us two women to get out of a really horrendous situation. I do believe that. That is the vibe I've received. I've never been angry at my birth mother. I've always felt a strong love for her. I always felt that she did the right thing. I felt that in utero that she, when I was in utero, that she was in a really terrible situation and that she had a lot of stress and that stress passed on to me. I understand her giving up myself and possibly, you know, my half sister. With the half sister thing, the group strongly felt that I should reach out and that I will be in contact with her in the next few years. I think that's on me. (laughs) I would have to take that step. People strongly felt that she was somewhere in New Jersey. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I mean, that's who knows. Uh, They also strongly felt, (laughs) this is kind of funny, that we look like twins and that she's much taller than I am. So I'm five foot one and damn it, she got the height. (laughs) I didn't get the height that she's much taller. So who knows? It's really interesting what they came up with about my birth father because I have never had a good feeling about my birth father ever. I've always felt leave that door closed, that he's, he's a troubled human being. And that sometimes I feel like I struggle with darkness that comes from my birth father. Who knows? I think, you know, we all struggle with darkness. You know, your parents can be the most above board people and you still struggle with darkness. But I've always felt there's, there's a little bit of a darkness in me that came from him. 
And to me, that was confirmed. This class that I did, this psychic detective workshop, really validated a lot of things for me and for other people. And I just loved the people I met in it, especially Tony Stockwell and especially John Baisley, who's coming on next next episode. And I just wanted to share my experience with you. I have to say that our class gelled extremely well together. Even Tony Stockwell said that we had a great class. We found out after the class that there was a case, and I didn't write it down, so I don't remember the case, but there was a case where the person in the class relayed the information to the police and the police said, how did the class know about it? Because we never have released any information and that is all accurate information. So they actually were trying to find Tony Stockwell and I think they did. And the police called Tony Stockwell to confirm all of this information. So I know our class I think really just had this energy. And I just want to say one other thing, and that is some of us, like myself, were complete neophytes, just thought it was a really interesting subject. Then you have the other half of the class who were super experts. They do this in psychic circles, psychic detection, online groups. Uh, Some of them worked personally with Tony Stockwell. So you had this mixture of people, and I think that's what made it so great. And I think that's why the energy works so well together. So I just want to tell you that because if your soul gravitates towards something and you don't know why, because let me tell you, when I get that Omega uh, workshop course book in the mail, I look through it 10 times. I look at every course, I read every description and that one kept sticking out at me. So it was my soul. My soul was saying to me, hey, you've got to take this course for whatever reason. And I believe the reasons were to get some validation about my adoption, number one, to meet John, who's now my new friend and who's great, uh, to experience something different and maybe go along this path a little bit. I don't know. I haven't 100% decided. I always say I'm going to do something. And then I move on to the next thing. That's my problem, right? I move on to the next thing. But because I'm so interested in all of it and I'm so captivated by all of it. But I do see myself possibly working on a case at some point. And John confirmed that fact next week. You'll hear him. The only other thing I want to say is if you enjoyed this episode, please give me a five-star rating and review wherever you listen, especially Apple Podcasts. It helps me so much. I believe I'm at 26 ratings and reviews. I really need more to get that little black star on Apple Podcasts. And you will hear a great episode. Really, it's going to go into the nitty gritty of forensic astrology and how John Baisley solves these cases with what's called a true event chart or true crime chart and how he validates all of this psychic information and has solved crimes for the police. It is so fascinating. So please listen to that episode, which is coming out in a couple weeks. I wanted to add a postscript because the boy in the red shirt on the school bus who I saw in meditation, I sent those details to John, the forensic astrologer who will be on next week, and he sent me back a picture of who he thought it was, and that 
was the boy that I saw in my meditation. And it's someone that he has a deep connection to and who shows up in mysterious ways at mysterious times. So I thought I would just pass it on to you that this psychic connection has been validated. So again, very cool to do this. And I hope you listen next week. Until next time, live your life two inches off the ground. Mm